I'm Melanie Green. This is Remote Works, an original podcast by Citrix. Flexible work is changing not only how we work, but how we live. And for a beautiful example of that, we're going to Wisconsin. Nestled on the shores of a spring-fed lake in the southeastern part of the state is a town called Lake Geneva. The population, about 8,500. Lake Geneva was settled around 1836. Like a lot of towns, it began with a mill. A few decades later, the woods, hills, and water drew people from nearby Chicago to build their summer homes on the shores of the lake. Then, when the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 hit, Lake Geneva had another boom. After the fire left a third of Chicago residents homeless, more people packed up their bags and headed to the lake, making it their permanent home. So why are we talking about migration patterns in Lake Geneva? There's a new wave of relocation happening in parts of the U.S. There's a pattern here. Basically, there's still going to be some residual fear of density. People are nervous about density. That's Nick Bloom. He's a professor of economics at Stanford University in California. Nick has been looking at the movement of people out of more densely populated areas this past year. He's also interested in how that affects employees and the companies they work for. We'll hear more from Nick in a few moments. But first, I want you to meet Daryl Fairweather. She's just moved to Lake Geneva. I'm in this, you know, beautiful lake town where in the summer I'll be able to like go kayaking and in the winter there's skiing and sledding. So it's been great. Daryl and her family made the move to be closer to her in-laws. I moved during the pandemic. I was working out of Seattle, going into the Seattle Redfin office every day and being stuck at home, it's made me reevaluate where I want to live. And Redfin implemented a remote work policy. So they said, basically, if you want to work remotely, just ask Redfin is a real estate brokerage based in Seattle. Daryl is Redfin's chief economist. She's been working remotely during the pandemic, but even when the pandemic ends, she'll be able to continue living in Lake Geneva. Even before the pandemic, I was traveling quite a bit for work. So I do plan to travel when things open up again and go back to the headquarters maybe once a month, or maybe I'll go to one of the other offices during that once a month trip. Daryl and her family will be able to stay in their new city about 2,000 miles to the east of her office in Seattle. Redfin is coming up with a long-term flexible work plan for its employees. So how does Daryl's story fit into the bigger picture? There's a pattern emerging that shows a shift away from the large urban centers where many Americans work. U.S. Postal Service data shows the number of people moving out of big cities in 2020 was far greater than the year before. So where are they going? At the beginning of the pandemic, people wanted to get out of the cities and searches for rural homes shot up, purchases of rural homes shot up because people just wanted wide open spaces and to be out of the crowds. That part has calmed down a bit. In March, Redfin published a survey that shows what kind of impact the year has had on the housing market. They found that 30% of users on their online service have been looking to move to a different city. 
So if you were living in San Francisco, you might be thinking, why am I paying so much to live here and looking towards Sacramento, which is three hours away, or to Lake Tahoe, where you can live in a beautiful home on a lake with a view. So everyone's preferences have kind of changed, but the through line is that people aren't as attached to where their office is anymore. Many are looking to move to smaller cities. Burlington, Vermont, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Greenville, South Carolina— They're on the list of top 10 destinations people chose to move to last year. Statistics from moving companies show that New York and California lost the most residents in 2020. Like Daryl Fairweather, Megan Corasiniti moved because she didn't need to go into an office every day. Megan is senior manager of brand communications and integrations at Citrix. Her team was already working remotely two days a week before the pandemic. When that changed to five days a week, Megan and her husband moved from their apartment in Santa Clara to Cinnamonson, New Jersey, population 16,000. I called Megan to find out how she was feeling about her move. I think it was the fourth day that I was here that we got a massive snowstorm, and I was out there shoveling the driveway, and I kept thinking to myself, it's okay because I have this office, a home office now. I have more than one bedroom. I just kept telling myself that it was worth the move from sunny California to um, shoveling snow. So I think that was the biggest change. But I, I think more importantly, that same first week that we were here, I got to see my sister every single day. And so I think that the pandemic really put that into perspective, how important that was to me. So I would take shoveling snow to be near family any day. (laughs) Aw, I would too. Like Daryl, Megan relocated to find a work-life balance that might not have been possible before flexible work took hold last year. I think when it comes to moving and and companies are thinking about their employees and what's best for their employees and the experience they want to be able to provide and also the talent pools that they want to tap into, I think there is this shift that's happening that has happened and that will continue to happen that more employees are feeling empowered to make decisions about where they want to live that isn't tied to an office. And that's such a simple statement, but I actually think it's going to really change how our city centers are set up, how offices are set up, how we hire people. And we already see these changes happening, but I think it's going to become more and more critical over the next couple years. And I think that companies really need to think strategically about the future of how they're managing their employee experiences. And then from the employee side, if you are able to work from home and be just as productive as you were in the office, I think that it's time for us to also start thinking about what we really want when we show up to work every day. And so for me, that was not having to live somewhere just close to the office because the office was there. And I think that that's a really cool part of what's come out of the past year and the shift that we've seen. When it comes to the changes people are making to where they live, there's another option that's becoming popular. It's called the donut effect. Nick Bloom says the donut effect is another part of the story about recent migration out of cities. In some large American cities, people who are moving are not going far. They're just looking to move a little further outside of the most densely populated centers. So uh, if you think of San Francisco, for example, they're leaving the center, they're moving out to Eastern North Bay, or in New York, they're moving out to the Bronx, etc. So that's the kind of uh, a movement out of the center of cities into the suburbs of cities. 
Flexible work is one of the reasons some are choosing the suburbs. They can be away from urban centers, but still close enough to the office to be there part of the time. What's happening is people are realizing, look, post-pandemic, I'm going to probably be in work, let's say Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. I'm going to be working from home Wednesday, Friday. That makes it much more attractive to move out to the suburbs. I'm commuting less. I actually need a bit of space to have an office at home. But I can't possibly move to, say, you know, Alaska, because how on earth can I come in on those two days a week? So that's what's driven this big shift out to the suburbs, but it's kept people tethered to the large cities that they were in before. Daryl Fairweather has noticed another pattern in real estate that's directly connected to flexible work. People are thinking differently about how they can carve out a space in their homes to work comfortably. And if they can't, they're shopping for alternatives. Early in the pandemic, home sales slowed right down. But then... It only took a couple of months and the housing market just came back really fiercely. Part of it was because mortgage rates had dropped so much with the Fed intervening and lowering interest rates. And part of it was also the way that people's relationship to housing had changed. People were spending more time in their home, looking around, needing more space because they're working from home. So people are moving to have more space. Flexible work is allowing them to move further from the office, and the pandemic has people thinking about quality of life issues. People whose jobs can be done remotely can ask themselves, where would I be happiest? It may be too soon to know if people will stay in the suburbs and smaller cities. Nick Bloom offers a compelling reason why they might. People are nervous about density, even post-pandemic. So we ask people, after the pandemic, when a vaccine is widely available, What are your views on how much you return to the way you lived before the pandemic? And what we see is 75% of people do everything except they get nervous about getting in packed subway trains, packed tube trains, you know, crowded elevators. Basically, there's still going to be some residual fear of density. And I think that's another factor pushing people out from city centers. Do cities need to reimagine their own future? A bit. I think they need to do, do what's called right-sizing in uh, you know, the consulting literature. So I was actually talking to Palo Alto City Council the other day, and it's clear for cities like Palo Alto, San Francisco, New York, that obviously the prices of properties are going to go down. Also, their tax revenue is going to go down. Nick Bloom points out that the picture of falling property prices in big urban centers isn't all bad news. One thing that in some ways is quite helpful is it's going to push back on the uh, affordability crisis. So the history of American cities, if you go back to the 1980s, the center of U.S. cities were uh, low cost, kind of often quite scary places. And ever since the 1980s, the center of U.S. and in fact, European cities, too, have become more and more expensive as young people have flocked into the center. They pushed up prices, bars and restaurants have followed and it's become, you know, particularly if you're young, really nice places to live. In some ways, you can see that's good. I live out in California that there's been a huge crisis of affordability. It's been so expensive that many people can't now afford or couldn't before the pandemic, at least to live in these big cities. And one of the, you know, the mild positives from the pandemic has been, well, suburb prices have gone up, city center prices have fallen and some, you know, more essential service workers, maybe some artists, bohemian types, I guess, can move back into cities that were really pushed out over the last 10 years. So where do companies fit into this emerging picture of employees moving further from work, whether to the suburbs or further afield to another smaller city? How do business leaders plan for 2021 and beyond? I've talked to a lot of firms. There are a few things firms are thinking about. 
One is for managers, what to tell your employees. There's been a pretty firm plan for the last six to nine months, which is to go back to the office, but for typically three days a week. So most firms are thinking like that. They're trying to get it organized. Of course, it would take a while. Many companies have said, look, we're not probably going to have people come back till Labor Day. So one thing is we will return to the office. We'll do it gradually and end up three days a week. Another thing is where those offices will be. There's a number of firms that are thinking or already starting to try and move out from city centers. So skyscrapers, high rises in particular in downtown areas are problematic. So if you think of something like Salesforce Tower in central San Francisco, how do you A, get to the front door and then B, when you're at the front door, say get up to floor 50? In both cases, you first have to take, you know, crush subway trains on the way in in the morning, on the way back in the evening. And then to get up, you have to take ride up the elevator, which of course going up in the mornings is extremely packed coming down in the afternoons. And so For employees that feel nervous about packed spaces, which many people will do post-pandemic, that's a problem. So a lot of businesses are saying, we want space, we're going to keep our offices, people are going to come in for three days a week, but I'm not sure it's going to be in the city centre. I'm thinking about, you know, locating out to uh, Brooklyn or out, you know, to East Bay or, you know, out to basically some part of the city that's out in the suburb is not in the very centre itself. So that's another change. Some companies are only starting to consider how their policies and practices would need to change in a permanent move to flexible work. At Redfin, where Daryl Fairweather works, management had already laid the groundwork for remote work policies, including compensation based on where someone lives. Basically, if you want to work remotely, there is a bit of a pay adjustment based on the cost of living. So you just have to know that going in, if you want to work somewhere that has lower costs, you're probably going to take a pay cut. I took a bit of a pay cut. And part of the reason that Redfin did that is that we all, even before the pandemic, we had different offices in different locations. I mean, we have real estate agents all across the country and pay has always been somewhat tied to the cost of living in those places. So it wasn't really like a new policy, but we did have to standardize it for our headquarters employees who wanted to work remotely. Companies have been divided about whether they'll base compensation on where an employee lives. Some are cutting pay by a certain percentage when employees move away from cities with a higher cost of living. Others are paying employees the same, no matter where they're based. And when it comes to creating other policies for flexible work, Redfin has had to think carefully about next steps. Like so many companies, they plan to reopen their offices at some point. I wanted to find out how this would affect people like Daryl, who moved across the country. So what happens for you, for example, or other employees that have moved somewhere? Do they return to the office? How does that work? I do plan to go back and visit, but I'll be staying for the most part where I am. And also um, another thing is that we're not requiring people who didn't leave the Seattle headquarters to go back to the office five days a week. It's pretty much been learned now that people are, you know, can work remotely and be productive. So we're thinking about a model where people are back in the office two or three days a week, or, I mean, they can come back to the office more if they want to, but the requirement would only be two or three days a week for the people who are still in Seattle. Do you think people are on the same page when it comes to going back to normal or, or reopening offices? We did a survey of home buyers and asked them if you could work remotely all the time, would you consider moving 
to a different city or area. And only a third of people said no. The majority of them said that they already had moved farther away or they would like to move farther away. So I think that there really is this desire for people, if they are able to work remotely, to really reconsider where they're going to live. And I know there's been a lot of business leaders who have said that things will go back to normal and people are overestimating the remote work trend, but I'm one of the people who thinks that it's kind of here to stay, that we did this really big, grand experiment to see if working remotely works. And for the most part, it seems to work. I mean, everyone's always going to have different preferences. Those 33% of people who don't want to move far away, even if they could work remotely, they'll be able to go back into the office. But I think we'll probably see a bifurcation where I think some employers will be really strict about getting people back into the office. And then the people who want to keep working remotely will probably find different employment somewhere else where they could be more flexible. So it'll probably just bifurcate into two different kind of employee markets, the remote workers and the office people. Nick Bloom says it's those fault lines between people who will want to work remotely and those who won't. That's what companies need to address to make flexible work a success. If you look in the data, you notice that People that choose to work from home four or five days a week are not random. They're more likely to be women. They're more likely to be people with young kids. They're more likely to be people with disabilities. So what you could find is if you go down the choice route, so everyone chooses how many days you work from home, that five, 10 years down the road, you have a a diversity, you know, disaster and a kind of legal minefield whereby you just discover because, say, women with young kids are more likely to have chosen to work from home. You can see that this group is going to have lower promotion rates. You know, 10 years down the line, senior management is entirely comprised of younger single men. So that is an issue that's sensitive and has come up a lot with managers. And most firms' views is we're probably not going to let people choose. We're going to mandate that the entire team or the you know, divisions all work from home two days a week and come into the office three days a week. And for companies that worry about productivity being hurt as people move where they want to be and work how they want to work, Nick put this idea to the test with a former student of his and found that the opposite is true. For employees, you know, surprisingly enough, despite, you know, the nickname uh, shirking from home, working from home is actually more productive. So I got into this through a weird route back in 2010. I had a student called James Liang that sat in my uh, Stanford PhD class. And about a third of the way through the class, I discovered that this was a guy that co-founded a large company in China and was currently the chairman. He had been the CEO. And they were thinking about working from home because they're based out in Shanghai and office rents were really expensive. And so James and I came up with this plan to run a big randomized control trial. We basically asked two divisions, hotel and airfare, who wanted to work from home. Around 500 people volunteered. Half of the volunteers worked from home four days a week, and the other half continued to work in the office. What we found is massive, literally enormous 13% improvements in productivity for home-based employees. And when you interviewed them, it's quieter at home, it's easier to concentrate. I remember one person telling me that the person in the cubicle next to them at work used to clip their toenails under the I'm desk. Sorry, what? They, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She said, um, you know, the office is so distracting. You cannot believe the woman in the cubicle next to me clips her toenails. You're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm hearing it. She said, I can't walk when they they pull out this large toenail clipper. I have to pause. I'd move to the suburbs in a heartbeat to avoid toenail clipping in the next cubicle. I can see why Nick sees the upside to flexible work. And that's why working from home is here to stick. If you're a manager of a firm, 
your employees are more productive if they're working from home two to eight, three days a week, and they're also happier. Therefore, they're less likely to quit. So, you know, it's a, a clear win. And anything that makes firms much more profit, much more money is going to stick. And working from home is, you know, clearly falls in that camp. The story of how we work now compared with how we worked a year ago and how that's influencing where we live is far from over. When Nick Bloom looks to the future, he sees great possibilities for reshaping of our cities and a new way of thinking about how work fits into the bigger picture of our lives. The U.S. labor force is about 160 million, so thinking 7, 8 million people that in theory can live anywhere across the U.S. And some of them will go into you know, rural areas and will end up helping a little bit to revive the uh, rural economy. So in general, actually, most of this I see as positive and, you know, the reformatting of American cities and the move towards working from home is one of the few positives I think we're going to come out of what's otherwise been a really, truly awful pandemic. I'm Melanie Green. You've been listening to Remote Works, an original podcast by Citrix. Subscribe and come back in two weeks. Next time, The Movable Desk. What can't you do without in your workspace when you're working from anywhere? 